If you enjoy our content and think this is important material, the best compliment you can pay is by sharing this with your friends and family. This helps us out a lot. Also, if you enjoyed today's program, please like, comment, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We would love to hear from you. Truth in My Days podcast is sponsored by the Truth in My Days ministry. Welcome to the Truth in My Days podcast, where we defend the Word of God against the challenges of men. Hello all. Today we're starting a series on the Creed. What is the Creed? Many evangelical scholars think that Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7 are actually a creed, a statement of faith in the resurrection of Jesus that the early church created soon after Jesus' death and resurrection, and the apostles taught this creed to Paul after his conversion. If this is correct, they say, it means we have evidence for the resurrection dating only three to five years after the fact, which is earlier than the gospel books, and provides solid evidence for our beliefs. But is this correct? And if not, are we undermining the credibility of the New Testament and its message by promoting it? John and Sonia have been discussing the alleged creed in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7, a statement of faith about the resurrection of Jesus Christ that Paul supposedly received from the apostles only a few years after the resurrection of Jesus and incorporated into this letter. This early creed has been hailed as the key proof of the resurrection, but is it? Or is it a claim causing more harm than good? We have seen the apologists emphasizing this supposed creed and downplaying the gospel books, which is problematic because the gospel books are early and far more detailed than these few verses in 1 Corinthians. We have seen that there's actually no proof for the claim that the creed dates within three to five years after the resurrection. We began looking at the evidence to support the claim that this passage is a creed offered and found it wanting. The supposed primitive vocabulary in this creed is not primitive at all, being found also in the Gospel books and Acts, and so-called parallelism and stylized content seem to simply be a series of bullet points written by Paul to defend the truth of the resurrection. And we noted Paul did not include the empty tomb among his bullet points because, as we began the show, the empty tomb is not a good apologetic as even Jesus' apostles and close followers were not convinced by the empty tomb. We looked at the claim that Peter is called Cephas in this passage as proof that it is a creed, but found Paul calls Peter Cephas frequently in both Galatians and 1 Corinthians, so its appearance in 1 Corinthians 15, 3-7 is insignificant. Finally, we began to consider the key piece of evidence, Paul's use of received and passed on which is supposed to indicate the passing on of fixed holy tradition. Now let us continue this discussion. We hope you enjoy this multi-part series. So that leaves one argument, the biggie, the, the sine qua non, the linchpin, the without which not. If this one, this is the one that's really supposed to be the biggie that makes it a creed and everything else is just supporting evidence, which as we've seen is not supporting evidence at all. And this is the so-called technical rabbinic terms. How did Habermas put it? Paul introduces it with the words received and delivered, 
which are technical rabbinic terms indicating he's passing along holy tradition. Craig Blomberg put it this way, Paul uses technical language to indicate that he was passing along this oral tradition in relatively fixed form. The Creation Ministries International website says, First, Paul uses the words delivered and received, which are technical rabbinic terms indicating that he is passing along a holy tradition. What do you think? Does that sound convincing at all? Well, we'd have to see some some evidence. And, and like I said earlier, received and delivered are written in Greek in this passage. So even if there's some kind of technical rabbinic terms in, in Hebrew, because the semantic ranges may not be the same, like how, how will we know for sure that these Greek words are what those technical Hebrew words would have been. Yes, yes, that's that's a, an extremely important point to say. One would wonder why he didn't use the Aramaic, uh, primitive Aramaic way of saying it. But let's look at what those words are. In Greek, the word for received is paradidomi. And paradidomi is actually a very common word in the New Testament has many different meanings. To give into the hands of another is actually probably the most common way it's used in the New Testament. Every time we have the accounts of Judas betraying Jesus, it's always using this word. Where where he's handed over to Pilate, they use the same word. That's the most common use, uh, to give over into one's power or use, to commit, to commend, to permit or allow, and then to deliver verbally, which is how it's being used here. But it's just one of many, many different usages of paradidomi. The one to receive, paralambano. And again, it has, it has multiple different meanings. To take to, to take with oneself, to join to oneself, an associate or companion, to receive something transmitted, which could be an office to be discharged, or to receive with the mind, a subset of which is to receive by oral tradition of the authors from which the tradition proceeds. So it can be used in the way that these people are saying, but it can certainly be used in other ways as well. Uh, para de domi, uh, received, appears more than 100 times in the New Testament. Only twice does it actually refer to rabbinic material. That's Mark 7.13 and Acts 6.14. Paralambano appears about 50 times in the New Testament. Only once does it refer to rabbinic material, and that's in Mark 7.4. Please note that this is a multi-part series. If you have missed any episodes and would like to listen to them, they will all be available on our YouTube channel and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can find the links to these on our website, truthinmydays.com, or you can look for Truth In My Days on YouTube as one word. Okay, but this wouldn't be rabbinic material anyway. It would be the transmission of a church creed. True, but in that case, why appeal to technical rabbinic terms regarding this creed at all? Do we have evidence that it was used this way by the church to indicate passing along a holy tradition 
in relatively fixed form from some some author or teacher. I don't I don't think we do. Certainly, we don't see that in the New Testament. Okay, but what if you have not just received or passed on, but the combination of the two? Could that mean passing on a holy tradition in fixed form that one got from some authority, such as the apostles? Ah, you've, you've hit the key point. Okay. Para Didomi, para Lambano, on their own. Sure, on their own, they can mean different things. But what about the combination? Isn't the combination then the, the technical? When you have both of them, it has to refer to that. Really? There is actually... You know, if, if, if you're going to make this claim, you kind of have to show examples. There is one other place in the New Testament where this combination occurs, and that's 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three. Could you read that out for us, please? For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. Yes, the beginning of Paul's description of the Last Supper. But isn't this interesting? The one other place where these two words received and passed on, where they occur together, where we're told that this indicates that he is passing on something that he received from a human teacher in a relatively fixed form. Who does Paul say he got it from? The Lord Jesus. So is he telling us that he's, he's got some kind of rabbinic tradition, some kind of fixed holy tradition that he received from human teachers that he's passing on? No, even in the case of the First Corinthians creed, is, is that supposed to be received just from men and not from God? Well, well, they, they say that those who want to argue that this is a creed say that where you have those two words together, that indicates that, yes, he is telling us he received this from some human leaders and is passing it on. And yet the one other place where we see this combination occurring, it's absolutely not saying that. He's telling us flat out he didn't get it from a human leader, human teacher. He got it straight from the Lord. Well, but Jesus is fully God and fully man. Okay, but he's not getting it from church leaders, apostles, and so on. He's getting it straight from Jesus. It's not being mediated through church leaders who put together this holy tradition in some fixed form and then teaches it to others. So if the one place, the one other place where these occur together, do not indicate that he's he's passing on something that human teachers told him, uh, then we can't argue that that combination means that, yes, he's telling us that, that some human leaders, some apostles, some disciples, somebody taught this to him, put it together in a fixed form, gave it to him to pass on. Okay? It absolutely is not possible to argue that when we see elsewhere that it's not used that way. You cannot say it must be being used that way. If anything, you could say that based on 1 Corinthians 11, which is four chapters earlier, we could say that when Paul says received and passed on, He's indicating he got it from, from God himself, not from a human teacher. Well, I guess then it could, even if he got it from God, it could still be a creed, I suppose, but it would be a much stronger creed if it's from God instead of men. But there's no reason to consider it a creed anymore. If he got it straight from God, then it's it's uh, divinely inspired words that he's teaching us. He's, he's not passing on something that was put together for him by apostles or some teachers before him. The point of saying it's a creed is, is that the early church got together and said, what do we believe about Jesus? We believe he rose from the dead. We're going to put our beliefs down. We'll make a fixed form, and then we're going to memorize that and pass it on to people. 
That's the argument. And that's what the evidence fails to support. If he received it from the Lord, it's it's divine inspiration. It's not a creed. This is what a creed is by definition, as I've just explained to you. It is a holy tradition, fixed form, put together by church for the purpose of being passed on and recited as this is what we believe. Right. So, if this argument fails, and as we've seen, it fails, it pretty much buries the entire case for this being a creed. What we've seen is that actually not one of the lines of evidence that they've offered stands up. And that's not all. Thank you, everyone, for listening today. Unfortunately, we have run out of time. But please join us for the next part, same time and same place. Thank you for listening to the Truth In My Days podcast with John Torse. If you like our content, please share this information with family and friends. It helps us a lot. We also would love to hear from you. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Truth In My Days as one word again. Truth In My Days as one word. No spaces in between. Or reach us by email at info at truthinmydays.com. You may also visit our website for more comprehensive material and to learn more about our ministry. Our website is truthinmydays.com. Thank you.